UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello. Welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with... Clint Derringer. And we have an extra special episode of the podcast where we'll be covering the Rutgers game and Nebraska. So first up, Michigan defeated Rutgers by a score of 52-17. to Interesting game. Michigan actually trailed at halftime by a score of 17 to 14. I know Jim Harbaugh always likes to win every half. The result was good, coming back with 28 points in the third quarter and 10 points in the fourth quarter while shutting out Rutgers for a final of 52 to 17. Well, Clint, what did you think about this one? I mean, there's an overarching theme about Michigan kind of getting off to a mediocre or, or lukewarm start and then really tightening the screws at halftime and then blowing teams out. I mean, this particular game against Rutgers felt a lot like the Penn State game where the statistics were really tilted heavily toward Michigan in terms of performance, but there were some fluky plays that turned into points for Rutgers. And in this case, it was the block punt. Um, not only... Uh, did it turn into seven points for Rutgers, but it also came at a time where Michigan was getting ready to really uh, seize, you know, could have really seized control of the game. Uh, statistically, we're, we're really um, dominating, but uh, the Scarlet Knights kind of catch lightning in a bottle, uh, run a really great play to block the punt, um, uh, take the ball right off of uh, Brad Robbins' foot and uh, return it for a touchdown. And not only did that put the points on the board, but it also kind of sucked the air out of the stadium. You know, I, I think the the crowd was really getting ramped up. Um, the, the the hype around Lake Corum and uh, a potential Heisman run was really starting to kind of electrify the stadium. And uh, that play really sucked all of the momentum out of the out of the building. And the rest of the half was just kind of slow and plodding until uh, they could reset at halftime and then came out and absolutely um, blew Rutgers out of the water. I mean, Michigan ran 80 total plays to Rutgers 48, almost twice as many plays. And, and Michigan was gaining uh, nearly a full yard more per play. So it, it was a, it was not a close game despite actually being behind at halftime. And statistically speaking, while Blake Corum ended up with 109 yards, so did Donovan Edwards. So you had a real dominant performance by Michigan's two backs on the ground. Blake Corum had 20 carries for 109 yards, while Donovan Edwards had 15 for 109 yards. So Blake Corum averaged 5.5 yards a carry, and Donovan Edwards actually exceeded him with 7.3 yards. But again, just a dominant performance on the ground. The Michigan running attack, you know, you throw the word dominant around, and it is it is more than that. It is just, you know, just coming at you, chunking three and four yards at a, you know, uh, at an amazing clip down the field. So um, another game where would have liked to have seen some longer plays, you know, some longer connections uh, in the passing game. But again, when you're winning by this much of a, uh, a gap, it, it's hard to complain. But you know there is kind of a little nagging doubt in the in the in the back of your head that 
you'd like to see a little bit more balance on the offense. I, I think that's, I mean, that's accurate. The, the success rate on pass plays in this game for Michigan was 36%. It's a little bit lower than we would like. The yards per pass play was 5.9, um, which is, um, which is adequate. It's not, it's not great. It's not, uh, it's not bad either. Um, so it's, it's really anecdotal. I, I would say what we see, it's the eyeball test. Um, JJ McCarthy on, on a lot of the throws that are short, um, either at the line of scrimmage or, or, you know, short, uh, slant routes or maybe medium, uh, you know, dig routes or in breaking routes, some of the sideline out routes, all of those have been pretty good. The the sail route or the waggle route, kind of a flag route um, along the sidelines, especially Ronnie Bell, he's been really good at it. Specifically, what what we're seeing the issue is is you know vertical fly routes or, or uh, you know long post routes where uh, the receivers and, and JJ McCarthy are just not quite on the same page, um, and. Could be just a matter of repetition. Could be uh, just that extra boost of adrenaline when uh, when you move from State Street to Main Street, and um, and JJ McCarthy overthrows him. And I I would say the most likely scenario here, um, in terms of actually connecting, I've heard a, a lot of folks say you know just give the receivers a chance, even if you're kind of underthrowing them a little bit give the receiver a chance to come back and make a play on the ball or, or maybe draw a, a pass interference penalty. But I still remember, you know, what Cade McNamara was for this offense last year in terms of protecting the football, managing the offense, all of that stuff. And I think that's still being imparted and being coached into JJ McCarthy, right? Like try go ahead, try to make the throw, but if you miss, miss long, because uh, you know, overthrowing these deep routes is not likely to create a turnover, where underthrowing it could create a turnover. So I still think there's a little bit of, you know, protect your defense, protect your run game. Um, that that's a little bit built into the passing game, and we will see. We'll see if the the reins totally come off um, when when we get into these last two games, but especially down in Columbus. Um, you know, everybody's aware that we're going to have to put up points to, to be able to beat the Buckeyes. So we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of repetition. I don't think that it's very far off. I, it's not something that I am wildly concerned about, but certainly we've seen enough evidence now that it's not in sync. And JJ, to his credit, you know, as the leader on the offense, kind of kind of took the blame for it. Every single time I'll say it's on me because they're they're getting open. I have to put it on them. So I take 100% blame for all deep balls that are missed. What's interesting is like you said, there's a lot there is success in the passing game, just not on the really long routes. And it's not like you need four of those a game, right? You just like to see him hit one or two so that you you have some confidence that that you can stretch the field vertically. So Again, it's you know, hey, we're sitting ten and zero. We, you know, Michigan is a machine, just you know, grounding teams up right now, just grinding them into the ground. But you do feel, I do feel like you're going to need to see, um, you know, a long play, just just to show you can do it, right? And you know, I, I think you made a great example of comparing it to what Cade McNamara did last year. And again, he was a game manager. 
you see somebody like J.J. McCarthy, who's a much more dynamic athlete, doing different things, and you just like you'd like to see a full resume. Okay, that's how I feel. It's like, man, you just like to see him, you know, really stretch out and and give those receivers a chance to, um, you know, to make a play. Like you said. Now, on the other hand, earlier this year, I thought J.J. was getting a little cocky with some of his throws, like thinking that he could throw it through people, you know, threading the needle a little too much. So I do think we're seeing an adjustment of the game, uh, a a little more safety with the ball, a little game management, if you will. So again, again, I think people are sometimes uh, expectations exceed what is realistically uh, you can anticipate from from a player. He has ton of talent, but he's still a really young player. So... And, uh, you know, we, we still have the potential for a number of games this year. So you'd like to see uh, that in the, uh, the bag of tricks before we get to Ohio State. But, again, uh, you know, between Ohio State and, you know, potentially a win there and Big Ten championship and, and possibly beyond, you know, there's still time to work. But, uh, you know, I, I, for one, am, you know, and I said this in the live commentary while we were watching the game, I'm like, you know, I'm starting to wonder when this synchronization is going to happen because we've had a lot of chances for it. Yeah, it, a couple more things on offense against Rutgers. Um, first, in terms of the vertical passing game, uh, and, and you and I have talked about this in the past, maybe on a podcast, maybe not, maybe just when we're sitting there uh, talking about this stuff. But the uh, the old adage about, you know, if you throw the ball, three things can happen and two of them are bad. Right, you can complete it. You could it could be incomplete, or you could be an interception. When you're throwing a deep ball, um, there there are other options, right? First of all, there's the there's the penalty uh, possibility, right? Some some folks build an entire offense out of just chucking it and, and praying for a penalty. Not that uh, I think Michigan should do that, but it is another potential outcome that that was not uh, part of that uh, that little quip. Um, but even an incomplete pass when you're throwing the ball vertically uh, has some value in, in that when I was calling an offense in a high school team, I always tried to throw at least one vertical route uh, in our scripted plays in the first series because you, you tell the other team that they have to be wary of that. Whether you complete it or not, you make sure that those safeties have to be um, alert uh, on the deep pass. They they ha- they can't just creep down into the box, and that's what I meant in, in that. I think potentially uh, Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore, the co-offensive coordinators, are are using that vertical passing game uh, in these last few games to kind of protect the the run game. And what we saw through the middle of the season a lot was teams still committing. You know two safeties deep, even though Michigan um, was not throwing the ball deep. So some of the early season success deep against the non-conference opponents and early in the Big Ten season kept those safeties back, and we saw the run game really dominate, uh, you know, against Penn State, against Michigan State, um, where they insisted on staying in those two high safeties. Well, now teams are starting to, to sell out against the run a little bit more. Michigan's pushing the ball down the field. Uh, a little bit more, and that's good. And you're right that we want to see those hit. But even if you miss uh, and it's incomplete, um, you're you're sending a message to those safeties to to stay out of the box. 
the other thing uh, that was significant against Rutgers on offense is we finally saw uh, the red zone numbers and the uh, points per trip inside the 40, right? The finishing drives metric that we track jumped up over where they had been on the season. So the season average to that point was 4.3 points per drive. Um, you know, that's basically splitting between touchdowns and field goals 50-50. And in the Rutgers game, they pushed it up to 5.0 for, for this particular game. So that's the first time that they got up above their season average and also uh, kind of up above the benchmark that I picked, which is just being better than last year. Last year, um, under Josh Gaddis, Michigan finished uh, 4.75 points per trip inside the 40s so to get up over that number to get up to 5.0 for the game on multiple trips you know obviously they scored 52 points so they they really um you know they put a lot of points on the board even after a slow start so um that was another significant step forward and then we saw that kind of continue uh with the offense from Rutgers even into Nebraska the other thing that you did see too is you you saw JJ running the ball a little bit more, um, also uh, getting involved in the offense downfield, shall we say, um, got got hit pretty hard. That play was pretty unique. Like, uh, I want to say, it, answer your first question. It did hurt, <laughs> but it lets you know that you're alive. You know, uh, I love that part of the game and. Yeah, definitely. As I was going down the sideline, I thought he was going to run out of bounds with Dono, and I kind of looked upfield a little bit and turned my head back, and he was right there. But uh, yeah, that that was the hit that kind of that kind of pissed me off that game and kind of set a whole different trajectory for the rest of that game. And responded well, but you know we're we're getting to the point in the season where you know it was announced that Cade McNamara is officially out for the season, so. Every time JJ takes off, especially in a game that you know you're you're expected to handle pretty easily, you know he mentioned earlier in the year that he has to treat his body as a resource and be careful for the team, and I think that's uh, doubly now that that Kate is out because while I'm sure Michigan has talent in the position, they have no experience after after JJ. You know last year they had the luxury of. You know, Cade being the starter and J.J. coming off the bench if something happened. So it's just another thing that when that happened, it kind of, you know, made you think for a second, right, that in a game that you, you know, score 52 points, you don't need to risk too much. So, yeah, so, again, definitely, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of, um, a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say doubt, but a little bit of, um seeing that halftime score and, and, and wondering if Rutgers had figured out something that the rest of the Big Ten hadn't. The answer in the second half, definitely not. Michigan came out with a vengeance and, again, just, just kind of blew them out of the water. So, Clint, do you have anything else to say about the Rutgers game? Yeah, I think uh, 38 nothing in the second half. Um, a big part of that is the, uh, the nothing part. <laughs> yeah, we, we continue – at least me, I, I continue to underestimate how really great this defense has been uh, all season. But especially in this game against Rutgers, uh, it kind of starts and ends with uh, Michael Barrett, you know, probably the game of his career. Um, it's certainly to this point, hopefully he has even greater games in the future coming up here. But uh, to have the pick six um, 
was huge and and two interceptions overall um really has been just a revelation at inside linebacker uh if i had to make any uh real comparison i would say a few seasons ago um when jordan glasgow stepped into that linebacker position out of the viper position when we're still under don brown and uh you know was second on the team in tackles that year this is a similar um, scenario, obviously, where uh, Michael Barrett was uh, that vibe, that Viper hybrid uh, space player, kind of uh, mixed between safety and linebacker. Um, when Mike McDonald came in last year, and then um, Jesse Minter took over this year, that Viper position doesn't necessarily exist, and the the hybrid players are more uh, kind of hybrid between safety and corner. So he was forced into an inside linebacker role. And uh, he stuck with it, didn't transfer, stayed in the program, has been a, an excellent teammate, a really great leader, and we're seeing uh, really tremendous success for the whole season. But uh, the Rutgers game really had Michael Barrett's stamp all over it um, on top of another second-half shutout, which is a, kind of a tip of the cap to the, to the whole defensive staff and, and the halftime adjustments that, that they make. But I especially want to give credit to uh, to George Hilo, linebackers coach, and then also uh, to Michael Barrett for stepping forward and having a, a tremendous game. So, I think there are two really great stories on the Michigan defense so far this season. The first was Mike Sainristel, who switched positions, and often that doesn't work out right, and. He switched positions coming over from the offensive side of the ball to the defense, and he's just had a monster year, flying all over the field, you know, really just really doing really well. And not only is he a great guy, but for somebody who would switch positions and take one for the team to come over and have such great success, that's really great to see. The other is Michael Barrett, because as you mentioned, you know, he was all set under Don Brown's defense to be the Viper which is the key position. And we had the change in defensive schemes. He, you know, again, had the chance to leave and decided, as you said, stuck it out. And now is just, you know, just truly dominant. And he talked about why he decided to stay. The culture of the building, the culture of just Michigan football um, is just a place that that's hard to leave. Um, I knew once once everything changed, it, it, it changed for the better, honestly, in my opinion. And um, I just feel like just that, that culture changed here just uh, made me want to stay even more. Um, I feel like just uh, with, with the new coaches that came in, with the new schemes, the new systems, um, I feel like it just it, it, it brought new life into Michigan, into, into the program, I feel. Uh, I feel like it just gave us that spark that we needed uh, to kind of get back on track to where, where we want to be. We're hearing more and more players talk about the culture. And, Clint, you and I talked about this at, at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. It really seemed that we saw a reset last season where there was a, um, a mindset change, a commitment change, and – it seemed like it was like a rebirth of the program. It wasn't just a great year. You could hear the players talking about it. And, and we talked about it in the off season. Now, you know, 
everybody talked a good game. We had to see what happened. But we're seeing the proof in the pudding here. And we are seeing players talk about it, about how, you know, they just, you know, there was a change last year and, uh, uh, you know, a deeper commitment, uh, a deeper resolution, you know, uh, and, and again, it's just we're seeing it. And, and again, winning makes everything easier. But, you know, you're not seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing everybody doing the right thing, saying the right thing. And, you know, if you think about it, Michigan had two huge losses this year. You lost Cade McNamara, who was a captain. You lost um, Eric All, who was a captain. And, you know, while we wish both of those players the best, again, the team just rolls on. So, again, it's, I think it's, it really speaks to the commitment of the team and the job that the coaches are doing. And, you know, in past years where uh, if you had lost your quarterback, you know, your, your starting quarterback from the previous season, it just would have been devastating and, and you don't know if the team would have recovered. And this team, you know, this team just keeps rolling on. So it, it's really a testament to, to the work that they're doing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think we would again kind of point back to the spring of '21 and the the revamped coaching staff. Uh, certainly, some uh, kind of an injection of youth, um, and and certainly players or coaches that were uh, closer to the same age as players and, and and from some of the same cultural backgrounds, a little bit more relatable to uh, the players' experience. Guys that were in that position for themselves, you know, former Michigan players, former college players. Um, that could relate to to the same experience that these uh, the kids and these families were having. I think that made a huge difference. And then also uh, a, a strategic shift in recruiting to uh, not as much emphasis on the uh, the talent rating. You know, kind of the stars and and the uh, the recruiting um, industry that's out there. I, I think they do a good job evaluating uh, the ability of high school kids and and rating the kids pretty well. But Michigan shifted away from talent being number one and, and creating their own sort of fit score. Um, and, and really, that's where this cultural shift started, was uh, prioritizing guys that would make uh, position changes um, from receiver to, to defensive back and, and do it because that's what the team needed and then excel or, or have their position eliminated on the defense and and okay, shift inside, learn something new, transform your body, and, and become a leader uh, like Michael Barrett. So that, um, that cultural fit score, the, uh, you know, the, the mindset that Jim Harbaugh is looking for, and um, really bringing in coaches that were younger and, and also could uh, relate to the kids a little bit better, all of that came together just in time for, um, for that transformational year last year. And the cherry on top, as I've said and will continue to say, is, is player leadership. You see the players holding each other accountable, um, doing the extra work, um, saying the right things, uh, staying focused one week at a time, going 1-0 this week, all, all of that stuff. The coach speak stuff comes out of these players um, almost in every everything that we've ever heard. There, there's very little uh, sense of entitlement. And um, it, it's it's very much a methodical, um, professional approach to, to how this team prepares. And, and that starts with uh, the, the culture and what the coaches have created 
but it has to be carried out by the players and, and their leaders. And, and you can see it and you can hear it. Well, and you talk about this fit score, right? So Ronnie Bell is a perfect example of that. Harbaugh told a story this week that he found out about Ronnie Bell through his brother-in-law. And he looked into him, and he was actually a basketball player. He didn't have a football scholarship offer, right? And, you know, Harbaugh looked at him and said, you know, uh, we have someplace you can play. And it's amazing that when you look at how successful he's been in a player, as a player, that he wasn't heavily recruited as a, in football. So, again, it's so much that finding the right player that fits with your program, that has the right mentality, that comes in with the right work ethic, and it's, it's, it definitely is uh, reaping rewards for Michigan. And, and it's funny because if we think back to last offseason – there was some heartburn in recruiting circles that, you know, Michigan didn't have all the five stars. They didn't have exactly, they weren't seeing the big boots in recruiting that everybody was expecting. And I say everybody meeting, you know, the recruiting wonks, right. And wow, we're doing okay. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and, and it's one of the reasons, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of recruiting because, you know, I'm, I'm not, it, it's, it is important. Okay. But, What's important is how you play on the field, right? Stars are great, but, you know, stars on paper in the offseason are nice, but stars on the field in the fall are better. And we've definitely seen Michigan um, find the right players and, and put them in the right place. So um, so that's the Rutgers game. Next up was Nebraska. Michigan just dominated 34-3. to and, you know, if you had told me years ago that between Rutgers and Nebraska, Rutgers would cause Michigan more grief in a half of football than Nebraska, I don't think I would have believed it. But, again, Nebraska has fallen on hard times. Um, you know, at the half, Michigan won, was leading 17-3, to and they pulled away, scoring a touchdown in the third quarter, a touchdown and a field goal in the fourth quarter to win 34-3. You know, again, another dominating, if not super exciting performance. But, again, you look at it and, you know, Blake Corum ran for 162 yards on 28 carries, 5.8-yard average again, just just grinding. The, the Michigan offense just rolling. Now, once again, we had Michigan in the – Definitely in the first half, try to get the long passing game going and, um, you know, not exactly connecting the way we would have liked to have seen. But, you know, as Coach Harbaugh said. We're going to do what we think is when we're in game is the best best, best chance for winning the game. You know, so, um, you know, we've had these conversations before. You know, there's, there's two ways to go. You can go by air or you can go by the ground. Um, Today was the day we chose to go more on the ground. George Patton would be proud. When it's working, it's hard to go away from it, right? And it's hard to complain about a run game that is leading to such dominating victories like we've seen the last two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, your your point uh, comparing, you know, Rutgers being uh, more uh, problematic for this team <clears throat> than, than Nebraska I would extend that to the last four games, you know, Penn State, Michigan State, Rutgers, and Nebraska. 
when I look at the metrics here and what I track and what we talk about week over week, Rutgers was the was the best team in the last four weeks that uh, that Michigan played against statistically. Um, they gave Michigan the, the most trouble, um, you know, with their defensive front and, and what they do, and certainly on special teams. Uh, but once we got to the Nebraska game, um, first of all, in special teams, Michigan had a, a really large advantage uh, on average start uh, fielding position, field position. Michigan started on average at their own 31. Nebraska started at their own 20. The difference there is about 0.78 points per drive. So every drive, you know, when they're trading field position, regardless of what happens, Michigan gains almost a full point just in field position, if we were to compare it that way. Um, the Wolverines also took another step forward on finishing drives, right? They were much better in the red zone. We saw some new um, some new ways to attack uh, as well. We saw uh, a, a beautiful pass play where Ronnie Bell uh, kind of inserts like a lead blocker between the tight end and the tackle and the the safety that he um that thought he was going to be blocked kind of fired in uh in run defense and, and ronnie bell continued on his flag route was wide open in the end zone that was a beautiful red zone play um there was the really crazy kind of yakety sacks play where ronnie bell um made a nice catch for a first down kind of a short crossing route on the sideline tiptoed stayed in bounds made it a good run and then fumbled the ball into the end zone, and Andrew Anthony recovers it. Um, it even that play reminded me of what we were talking about in person when we were watching the Rutgers game in the press box, that Michigan needs to find ways to uh, attack the end zone, not necessarily down from the five- and six-yard line, right? They, they need to try to figure out how to stretch the field vertically, stretch the defense uh, as far as they can horizontally, and try to make some plays into the end zone um, when they're, you know, just inside the 30, just like that. So um, that was good to see. And then the last thing that was really great to see in this uh, Nebraska game on offense, specifically with finishing for touchdowns, was utilizing J.J. McCarthy's legs in the red zone, but not on the read option. Right? This time it was the old uh, Denard Robinson quarterback sweep where they utilized Blake Corum as a lead blocker um, and sent J.J. McCarthy running behind him, and he went into the end zone untouched. So uh, not only did we see better numbers um, on finishing drives and, and scoring points once you've crossed the opponent's 40, but we saw new methods. We saw uh, a passing touchdown from the red zone. We saw kind of a 29-yard a touchdown. Um, to Ronnie Bell that, that showed that they can spread the field and, and create space for their guys and then new ways to run the ball uh, off the edge and not just slam Blake Horn four times, uh, one yard at a time, which is kind of what we saw in the Rutgers game. So all of that was very encouraging for the offense. So Blake Corum had a lot to say in the post game about the number of carries he was getting. I always go into each game, you know, one in the ball. You know, I wanted as many times as they're going to give it to me. So, I, you know, I expected a good amount. You know, I don't know how much I actually expected. Uh, but, you know, uh, ended up, I got the ball a good amount of time. So, uh, I'm happy. <laughs> and his thoughts on the offensive line? <laughs> they're definitely packing the box. Uh, 100%. But I have the best offensive line in the country.
you know, and they dominate up front. You know, my tight ends dominate, the receivers dominate. So when everyone's dominated, you know, it allows me to have success and find those matchups and just really run hard. Uh, like today, you know, there was no long ones, but it was gritty. It was gritty for sure, you know. A lot of runs up the middle uh, and a lot of success. He also had a really nice block in this game that, that you know, he was very happy to talk about. And I felt pretty big when I knocked him down, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I think it was a great block, you know, great run by J.J., uh, great blocking by the offensive line. Uh, but, you know, I, I knocked that big boy on his butt. Yeah. <laughs> but he also got asked about the passing game. I mean, I think, I think we, we did a great job. You know, hitting them today, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, you know, we got to go back to the board and see, you know, the ones we missed. But, you know, the way we practice, the way, the way you know, we take it from State Street, the main, we just got to take it to Main Street. You know what I'm saying? We practice it, we're hitting, we're hitting. And I tell them, like, keep doing it. Don't stop. Don't stop throwing the deep balls because, you know, it was a JJ overthrow or someone dropped it. Why stop? It's going to hit. You know what I'm saying? That's just like me. You know, that's just like saying if I get hit in the backfield, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to stop running. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm going to keep going. You know? Don't stop throwing the ball. You know what I'm saying? Because it's going to connect. You know what I'm saying? Because we practice. You know, we practice really hard. And so uh, it's going to come. Y'all just watch. Not only did he get asked about the passing game, but if Jim Harbaugh got asked about it. And just as J.J. took the fall last week, Jim Harbaugh fell on the sword this week. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you balance it. I mean, um... You know, when you're getting five yards of carry, six yards of carry, uh, it's tough to just say, you know, let's let's throw it, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, put it on me. I mean, I'll I'll take accountability that the the past stats weren't weren't higher than they were, and, uh, and then be happy to be ten and zero and move on to Illinois. So it, it's interesting that you know that the team is concerned about it. You know, it's at the top of their minds. Um, but again, you know, Harbaugh is also defended them going on the ground. So again, it's you're ten and zero, you're 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 doing something that I think many. Okay, and let's step back from look at the the last two seasons, right? Look at how dominant Michigan has been in the running game. Okay, last year. I'm thinking, well, we got Hassan Haskins and we got Blake Corum, and that's a a once-in-a-generation tandem of running backs. Maybe that's why we're so successful. And remember that Blake Corum went out for a few games, and Hassan Haskins just picked up the slack like like you didn't miss a beat, right? And I remember thinking, well, that's, you know, in in the run-up to the end of last season, there were pundits in the media saying, well, you know, you can run like that against insert team name, but when you get to Ohio State, it won't be that way. Well, it was that way, right? All year last season, that's what we saw. Now, this year, okay, well, Hassan Haskins is gone, and we have Blake Corum, and we have Donovan Edwards, and they're doing it again, right? And they're doing something that... I would say you're not supposed to be able to do. You're not supposed to be able to run like this, this consistently. And we're really seeing, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh putting a stamp on a style of football where Michigan is dominating on the offensive line, dominating on the defensive line. And, you know, we heard from Rich Rodriguez and we heard from Brady Hoke 
you know, the game is lost. The game is won and lost, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage. And man, during those, both of those regimes, we lost that line of scrimmage a lot. And even here, it's taken a few years for um, this to kind of fully emerge, right? Like, I think we, you know, I expected this in year two or three of hardball. And here we are now, it, it's, I think it's everything we would have hoped for and more. So I think that sometimes you need to step back and really admire what Michigan and Jim Harbaugh and this coaching staff are doing. I, I think that they're changing the conventional wisdom of what you need to do to, to be a successful team. Yeah, and I, I, I'll revisit the, the coaching shift and the youth movement. Um, remember, you know, not quite two years ago, you and I really shocked when Ed Warner was let go, when, when he was allowed to, to walk and go to his next job. And you and I said, well, you know, we, we like Sharon Moore, you know, this tight ends coach who played offensive line. So I like him. Offensive line is a big step up there. So hopefully he can be, you know, somewhat near as successful as, as Ed Warner. Well, he has absolutely revolutionized that, that position for the program. The, the Michigan offensive line is absolutely dominant, but not just physically dominant, where, where they're bigger, stronger, and steamrolling people. They are technically dominant. They, they really are very, very sharp and sound and crisp with very complex uh, blocking schemes and, and different nuance that, yeah. that we've discussed in the past, and they're doing it so well that they are problem. The, the offensive line is a problem for the other team's defensive coordinator. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't because there's always another adjustment that Sharon Moore can make in the run game, and he is running an absolute clinic um, week in and week out, and there there is a lot of doubt, I am sure, uh, in Columbus about whether they're going to be able to stop Michigan's run game. And Clint, not only are they putting on a clinic, they are swapping players in and out due to injuries, mm -hmm. and there is no drop-off. The depth, the depth in that, that recruiting conversation and the questions about how well we're recruiting, look at the depth and the, the redshirt freshmen and true freshmen stepping in on both lines. Just really cannot say enough about that. And, you know, going back to Ed Warner, we saw talent come in and we saw talent get drafted in the NFL, mm -hmm. but not necessarily be overly successful here. And, and, Clint, I give you credit. People can go back and listen to the podcast around then. You did a deep dive in the stats, and you said, you know, really the run game could have been better, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, mm -hmm. and, and I give you credit on that. You have the numbers to back it up. And, you know, there is a, a sense to say, well, you know, we're doing pretty well. Maybe we should stick with what we have. And I think that um, – what people have the credit people have to give Jim Harbaugh and it's been all through his tenure here no matter how successful they've been he has not had a problem with changing coaches he has not had a problem with letting coaches who are close to him go and you know it's that dialing up right he's he's trying different combinations and you know perhaps perhaps he was able to do that because you know 
being a former player and being beloved here, he had a, a certain sense of security that not all coaches have. But you got to give him credit that, mm-hmm. you know, any one of those combinations could have blown up in his face. And, you know, two years ago when uh, he flirted with potentially leaving and there was a, a part of the fan base that was like, well, let him go. And then came back and had their best season. And the mm-hmm. same thing, you know, well, you know, he might go to the NFL. Well, let him go. Well, well, now, you know, again, look what he's doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really hard for me or anyone else to second guess anything he does. Because when you look at the continual evolution of the game and the coaching staff and continuing to reinvent himself, um, it, it's, it's really, it, it's really amazing to see. I'm glad he's our coach. I'll just say that I'm glad that we're on this end of, of the evolution and not on the receiving end of it. Yeah. And, and I would add, um, when he, when he takes a stand on, on football related matters that are off the field, he, he consistently advocates for the player's interests. Um, and that matters as well. And that's a big part of why the, the culture at Michigan is what it is. Uh, you know, I think all of the, I would, echo all of your points and, and add that one as well in terms of Jim Harbaugh. I, I would give, I kind of want to kind of spotlight two other um, position groups and, and coaches um, from the offensive line. I think you got to shift to the running back room, uh, the players first. I mean, Blake Corum is a legitimate Heisman contender, um, you know, depending on what he does over the next uh, two or three weeks. He's got a very legitimate chance to uh, to get invited to New York and, and very well could win the Heisman and the first uh, first running back to to win the Heisman for Michigan, um, depending on how you classify classify Tom Harmon, right? I mean, he's having a definitely having an MVP you know, season for us here at Michigan. Uh, be hard to imagine that uh, you know he wouldn't be a. Uh, Ah, the way he's going to win the Heisman Trophy, um, leading in touchdowns, leading in points scored, um, you know, consistently really good every game. I'm just been uh, you know, quite a few backs who've won the Heisman Trophy, and uh, I would bet I would bet my truck that uh, you know, Blake Corm is is on pace or ahead of you know. Many of those running backs that have won the Heisman Trophy, I know, uh, had a great running back at Stanford, Toby Gerhardt, who finished second. Um, Blake has has meant uh, even more to to this 2022 team uh, than Toby did, uh, you know, that season. So, um, yeah, I would, and yeah, yeah, there I go, making a comparison, which I I should never do, but uh, that one. Um, you know, two great players. It's like trying to, you know, compare. Uh, I, I always try to stay away from that. But yeah, Blake is. Blake's. <laughs> he's. Uh, yeah. Except for some of the pro backs, uh, de- definitely. Uh, probably the only exception would be, would be Frank Gore, that I was able to coach. De- Blake is the best, um, running back I've coached. We've, we've uh, been on the team with. So, uh, yeah, I would. He means that much. He's having that kind of a season. Best running back you coached in college, you meant? Yeah. 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 Frank. Yeah. 
well, maybe just best back overall, Frank Gore. Uh, you know, at this, but Blake's got some years. You know, he's still young, but he, he definitely has the, the license and ability in my mind to be, uh, you know, every bit as good as Frank Gore. So, um, really can't say enough about how wonderful uh, the season is that he's putting together. And then you and I get on, you know, get on here on this podcast and almost never talk about him. It's, it's almost like he's raised the standard so high for, for what's possible in this season that, uh, that we're, we're, we're hardly mentioning it because, um, because of all of these other things uh, are more interesting, right? We know exactly what he's going to do. He's, he's going to run for 160 and two touchdowns. Yeah, got it. Blake Corum, that's what he does. So, uh, you know, kudos to him individually. Um, the whole room, of course, Donovan Edwards uh, being a multifaceted weapon is going to be big over the next couple of weeks. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I think, um, you know, Donovan's still, still, uh, still growing and still, uh, you know, refining his game. I don't know, you know, how much his game were to go to, uh, uh, but it's, it's already at a really high level right now. I mean, guys with his skill set are uh, also not, there's not many on the planet like it. So, uh, and, and he's a great leader. He's a great, uh, great energy for our team. It's uh, tremendous, tremendous to have both Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards in the in the same backfield. Um, so, yeah, we're lucky, lucky, lucky. Uh, in this game against Nebraska, you know, we saw C.J. Stokes um, get a couple chunk runs. You know, uh, three or four runs of, of ten plus yards was great to see. And then I think you got to really give a lot of credit to coach Mike Hart for, for this running back performance. Uh, these guys are running north and south and uh, utilizing patience uh, and allowing blocks to develop um, much differently than they did in the past. And, and, you know, you and I are both huge fans of Jay Harbaugh as a coach. I think he did fine with the running backs. Um there's, they went from uh, from A minus to A plus, in my opinion, uh, by hiring Mike Hart at, at the running back position. They are absolutely, you can see it every year from freshman to sophomore to junior, the, the progression that the players are making. Thinking of Donovan Edwards last year as a runner compared to this year. Um, thinking of uh, Blake Corum two years ago as a runner. Go back and look at some of that freshman tape. Uh, in the 2020 season um, and compare that to what we see now. It's just uh, really, really remarkable. And then the other the other position group that I think we haven't talked about um, for how remarkable they've been in, in position coach is the defensive line. To lose David Ajabo and uh, Aiden Hutchinson from last year's team and to still create a, an absolutely dominant defense and, and a front that is just – it's a nightmare for the for the opposing team to try to block. Um, cannot give enough credit to all of the players, inside and outside, edge players and the, and the nose tackles, um, and, and their position coach, Mike Elston, you know, who, who kind of returned home, came, came here from Notre Dame, and – has been absolutely uh, uh, another diamond in the rough that, that Harbaugh brought in 
and um, impacted some of the recruiting uh, processes. Took a leadership position in the recruiting uh, department, but now look at look at what we're doing in terms of depth and and performance on the defensive line. There are two true freshmen that when they come into these games on meaningful snaps, um, they are they're wrecking balls. And you just don't see that. You just don't see freshmen defensive line and come in and impact the game like what we're seeing right now. It's really, really, really special what's happening on that D-line. So back to the running back position for a minute, okay? So remember back a couple years ago when Zach Charbonnet left, Mm -hmm. there was some consternation like, oh, why did he leave? What's going on, right? Now, Mm -hmm. he's going – you know, he's at UCLA. He's having a great year, but it's not as good as Blake Corum, and it's not as good as Hassan Haskins last year. And I, I'm not dissing Zach Charbonnet. I'm saying that's how deep we were at running back. You know, you really got to look back at the recruiting, and, you know, we don't often talk about recruiting, but if you are a running back, you want to come to Michigan. If you're an offensive lineman, you want to come to Michigan. If you're a defensive lineman, you want to come to Michigan. If you're a quarterback, you want to come to Michigan. I mean, you can see this. As you mentioned, there are younger players getting meaningful reps, having a huge impact, and Michigan's just a machine. And and really, this is, you know, we can talk about NIL and we can talk about, talk about all the different things that influence recruiting. But the best thing, is how successful the team is, how great the culture is, and the opportunities that players get to play soon and have an impact. Mm -hmm. And we can see it up and down the line here. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, You know, I I keep mentioning this, that I, I just expected this in year two or three, right? And this is what I hope for. It took a little bit longer to to happen, but man, it's worth it. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is just, it, it's a great time to be a Michigan fan. Um, we're still, you know, as Harbaugh likes to say, an ascending program. And it, it's just, it's great to talk to the players. Um, again, winning definitely helps that. There's no doubt. But you can see, um, you know, you talk to these guys, um, you know, everybody's singing from the same songbook. And again, it's just, it's a great time to be a fan. And, you know, really blessed and have the opportunity to talk to these guys and hear them talk about the game and share it with our audience. Yeah, yeah. So I'll 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 summarize the the Nebraska game the the best that I can, offense and defense. And I'll, I like to sometimes pop these quizzes at you. So let's talk about success rate on running plays and, and you know garbage time is removed. So once the score was out of hand, those plays aren't aren't included in these stats. Give me a guess at what Michigan's success rate, what percentage were they successful on their run plays? Okay, how are we defining successful again? Uh, so success, that's a great, great question. Success is uh, five yards or more on first down. Um, it's getting uh, at least two-thirds of what you need on second down. And then it's third down conversions and fourth down conversions. So you have to get half of the yards on first down you got to get two thirds of the yards that you need on second down and you got to convert 
on third down. You got to convert on fourth down to be considered successful. All right. So I'm going to say Michigan was successful 70% of the time. That'd be pretty good. They were 76% on run plays, 76% success rate on run plays for Michigan against Nebraska. That is the highest that I've seen. Uh, again, if you remember uh, last year's Ohio State game, I praised uh, Josh Gaddis for calling a nearly perfect game. That one was 72% overall, 72% success rate. This uh, particular stat against Nebraska is run plays only. But, yeah, 76% success rate is just off the charts. On the flip side, let's talk about the run success rate for Nebraska. What, what do you think there's was? I'm going to say it was – 15%. 8%. 8%. Their best play were, you know, quarterback scrambles, which again, remember, I, I classify plays based on what was called. Those are past plays that were called. So they end up as rushing yards in the stat, uh, you know, in the traditional stats, but I, I consider those past plays. On called run plays, Nebraska had an 8% success rate and averaged uh, under three yards per run play. So, Again, it's it's immediately evident what's going to happen when Michigan plays these teams. Michigan immediately is running for six and seven yards of pop. The other team is having a hard time getting back to the line of scrimmage, and they're making these games look like uh, you know like high school games where where one team is just clearly outmatched, and uh, you just don't see that in the Big Ten um, in, in this era. Um, so it's truly something to behold so on that note coach Arbaugh had a great quote to describe how the the team is approaching every game just go just going one and oh I mean that's um that's what we're trying to do each week I I'm really proud I mean really proud of um the team I mean the players um are the ones that deserve the most credit. I mean, they they uh, they work so darn hard, and uh, and they're such a you know a real tight knit group that uh, you know it's fun. It's a it's a it's a joyful, happy ride that we're on. Um, you know, it's not it's not something that uh, uh, it's a, it's a mission, but it's a happy mission. Um, not one that's that has any anxiety or any any uh, anger or any kind of fear to it. It's a uh, it's a happy ride. It was important to them to get to, you know to, so much hard work has gone into the team being undefeated. You know so many so many guys have um, just uh, done so much, worked so hard. Um, some guys have uh, you know been been banged up along the way and. Um, so it's a lot of hard work's gone in and want to keep it going. Want to, uh, it was important for them to get the, you know, keep this undefeated streak, this win streak going. That's the thing that you see with these guys. You know, they just, they're enjoying it. They're enjoying the ride. So, Clint, do you have any final thoughts? Nope. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Take, uh, take Illinois seriously. Play your best game. Um, but stay healthy. You know, it's, uh, we're allowed to look ahead, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, uh, you and I thinking about the trip to Columbus does not impact the team. We're allowed to do that. We're just fans, 
but uh, please, you know, please for the uh, for the love of all things Wolverines, you know, stay healthy against Illinois. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue! Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!